Hello and welcome to the Weekend Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as ever by Luke Perry. Luke, how are you? Hello, yes, I, I have uh, been introduced first for a change because I'm experiencing some dual monitor horror. Michael Curzon and SD Wicket are sitting in the same room in, in Curzon's flat and uh, I just can't handle that much negative energy all in one space so uh, this will be a fun one mm, absolutely well yeah that is why i reversed it sam how are you i've already asked of course since you've been here for half yeah. an hour and <laughs> in my space i'm i'm very well um i'll do today i'll do this week's uh, weather report it is my favorite genre of weather which is uh sun shining but cold mm, yeah. um the deceptive stuff. autumn Welcome to the Midlands. There you are. There we go. There we go. Um, right, let's uh, let's get into the the meat potatoes. Absolutely. Well, there was no no COVID stories last week. Probably in my absence. Um, although for, I think in the future that might change. Since Luke, you're starting at the the Daily Skeptic for a Monday, so all that's going to be in your head over the next few months is is also lockdown and and COVID. So next time I'm not here, that'll be well covered. But since it wasn't last week, we'll make this one a bit of a special episode, shall we? Mm-hmm. Not that we've done that about how many times have we done this week in review about forty times. This is about thirty. I think, I, think, I think this is our forty-first or forty-second episode. Right. Yeah, crikey, <laughs> there you are. Um, well, I think the I'd say one of the main stories of the week, but actually, if you read any of the newspapers or looked at coverage, it wasn't a story at all. Um, but it was the it was the renewal of the coronavirus act for a further six months, um, which. In this time of of high democracy, um, didn't even take place under a vote. It was sort of summoned in Parliament, and before they decide whether or not to go to a vote, they they have a few people shout in the chamber, mm. um, and the the speaker, not the actual speaker, a deputy speaker, I think at the time uh, decided, probably justifiably, that there weren't enough people saying no um, for a vote to be warranted. So that's how um, the powers have been extended without any form of democracy, without any checks or balances. Um, and we're in this for at least another six months. Mm. I've, I, I've been, uh, to a degree, the, the, the harbinger of doom at this, where I, I've always stated from the start of this podcast that the, the very source of what's happening to us is the COVID Act. It um, allows government to completely bypass Parliament. It, uh, it uh, gives unprecedented power to the, the government's uh, scientific advisors. Um, you know, Parliament may as well not be there you know it may as well be an empty room which it basically was during the votes um if uh, there's a good picture actually on that of of the chamber when there was a vote a couple of weeks ago on on action relating to afghanistan uh, absolutely packed and then a picture of the chamber um when deciding on a vote on the coronavirus app for this country which was pretty much empty which tells you quite a lot i think when the cameras are watching they're all in attendance and when it's something that's not got anything to do with this country everybody gathers around but as soon as it's something to do with you know one of the fundamental um features of this country's uh democracy and just general state of liberty not a single soul mm-hmm. or thereabouts mm. well yeah I, i've always said you know um this isn't over until that law is um, in the history books not the law books mm. um and you know, um, it just sort of shows the the shallow and empty rhetoric of you know the uh, how did they phrase the uh, opening up? Was it the um, the steady but irreversible unlocking or unlocking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They phrase it as being you know gradual but final. You know, and this just shows us you know as, for as long as this this 
ghastly lore is on the books, we aren't out of the woods just yet. Hmm. Uh, and uh, with, with each passing week, month, day and hour, the political elite is becoming even more brazen in its actions and even more neglectful of the checks and balances it is allegedly bound towards. And we, we've seen that we, with the renewal. And um, the second thing to point out is it must be very important because as you said, Curzon, no one is covering it. I think, yeah. I think it was, I know you know this quite as well, but it's Peter Hitchens who said that the most important stories would, would be in the middle spread in about a two-inch box. Mm. And uh, th th that is the case now. The, the major news stories are, sort, are gearing towards, in effect, prepping the public for winter restrictions. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that in a minute, but if the media who are in bed with government are not covering the, the COVID Act, then it's not going to be released <laughs> into the into the consciousness of the wider public. Yeah, I think one of the reasons this wasn't the biggest story as it might have been is that um, the Act has been renewed, but with some of its measures um, having been removed, uh, which is why a lot of the people who previously had opposed the Act, um, I'm not 100% certain, but I think Steve Baker being one of them, and he, he's the, the chairman, of course, of the COVID recovery group, so a lot of people follow um, his actions. Um, and I'm fairly certain that a lot of people who had opposed it, um, the renewal, actually ended up supporting it, or at least not opposing it, uh, because of some of the, the measures being removed. But nonetheless, the, the Act remains powerful. Um, and one of the other damaging things, I think, is that even if the Act were completely removed, um, something that still means we're in danger is the Public Health Act of 1984, uh, upon which a lot of the measures have also been based and um, have been warranted through Parliament. So it's it's not just the Coronavirus Act, though that's sort of the, the central point of attention uh, for people like us, but other acts as well, which are much older and were intended for other purposes, which the government has repurposed uh, for its for its favour. Um, so yes, this mm. is um, no no change essentially from a position we were in a few months ago and and longer before that. Despite the uh, continuing um, improvement, you'd think of 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 the actual situation we're in. I mean, vaccination numbers, of course, only go up; they can't go down, um, and they do increasingly go up, even if slowly among certain age groups, and we'll go on to the, the booster vaccine rollout and the child vaccine rollout, which the government has been particularly disappointed with. Um, but yeah, despite all these things, we're continually pushed. Um, and I think what we'll probably go into next is the whole winter plan, the plan B idea, um, which hasn't been introduced at the moment, was the word that the, the health secretary used. But um, Laura Dodsworth, who wrote the book A State of Fear, um, and pointed it out first in this book and has written about it a lot since, says that even if measures aren't actually introduced at this point, they still hang, she wrote, over our head like the sort of Damocles. Um, and they nudge us, is the word she always used, into certain actions that we wouldn't otherwise take. Wearing masks in certain places, mm. avoiding certain social interactions, getting your third jab or getting your child to get a jab. So the threat of lockdown is still there, especially with the renewal of the Coronavirus Act and with the half-hearted promises from ministers that lockdown won't be reintroduced, which maintains the most important aspect of all of this, levels of fear. Mm. Well, I mean, and it's, it's an interesting, um, you mentioned the Sword of Damocles, because Sword of Damocles is, is a, it was a punishment for angering the gods, mm. you know, 
the uh, the public have we, we've angered our, our overlords with our you know our, our non-mask wearing and not you know getting our kids jabbed and that sort of thing yeah well, absolutely well especially with the vaccine i mean um the booster vaccine rollout has really slowed down um there's currently i think there's almost three quarters of a million people more people becoming eligible for the third jab every week than are actually getting jabbed now part of that might be nhs capacity because the, the rollout is a lot wider they're also vaccinating or trying to vaccinate children um, and all other age groups so they've got a lot on their plate but i think a lot of it is also just vaccine skepticism people think i don't need the third jab um if the first two weren't enough then this third one certainly won't be um that's that seems to be the idea that's coming out and of course the vaccination of children has been so far a complete failure some areas in England have vaccination rates as, as low as 3.5%. I mean, bear in mind, this is a good thing. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not moaning about it, but of course, um, it's, it's one of those double-edged swords where um, we are pleased to see that these rates are low. But at the same time, the fact these rates are low is going to mean the government is yeah. going to um, punish us for it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a good thing. But at the same time, it, it leads to uh, negative effects See, further down the road. That's the part that I can't shake off is that this is some sort of punishment. Yeah, know? this is some, yeah, there's some sort of reckoning for us plebs. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, all um, tyrannical political bodies of which the government has become one is likes to use soft power if it can likes to sort of control and manipulate public opinion shape the surroundings to, to enforce conformity but if, if it can't have that it just goes for the guns and bullets now uh, of course extreme in this time i mean plan b is um mandatory vaccinations and plan c is a ban on household mixing and you can just see the sort of step two of this with the rhetoric surrounding it all i mean whenever there's sort of a decrease in vaccine uptake number one there's only a finite amount of people in this country it's just heralded as a huge scandal mm. oh half a million people aren't being jabbed this week oh shame on the government and you see this and just to hammer the point home on how it can terrify the public is a the other day, um, because I no longer care for my mental health and want to self-harm, I watched a BBC News at one. And, uh, <laughs> of course, they were um, just just as a little experiment, see, just to see what uh, the, the average man on the street is watching. And 90% um, of the camera shots were in a hospital. Yeah. It was all about... Um, Oh, can the NHS cope this Christmas? That's a rhetoric that's around that's, every year, but it's been yeah, amplified it's, still. Every every winter, but long before COVID. Oh, yeah. uh, and what okay. one quote which got me was um, had they had an expert on whoever they were, whatever degrees on mountains they had, and uh, it said that the UK may be forced into another lockdown, as if it is not the government's choice or prerogative to actually put the nation in this state. Uh, it, part of it is a uh, spin to sort of hand responsibility over to this mild respiratory illness. But I mean, it, it just shows why people are outright terrified by this and the vice-like grip the state has. Yeah, well, one of the one of the main reasons that it's been hammered home again this week is um, the misrepresentation of COVID figures. So ages ago, um, We've been talking about this for a long time, about the differences in, um, well, the, the incorrection, sorry, in the hospitalisation rate uh, for COVID. So what that included was people in hospital 
primarily because of COVID, but also people in hospital for other reasons who happened to catch COVID. That's not to say that they were ill from it or even that they needed to be treated for it, simply that they were in hospital and had COVID at the same time. Mm. Now this, a few months ago, um, the, the, the health officials said, right, we're gonna stop doing that. Um, we're, gonna stop, we're gonna start measuring them differently because it's incorrect, which was good, it was good to see. But we should have known that it wasn't gonna happen simply. But the, the NHS website, it's still difficult to find the different figures. And in the press conference we had the other day, the, the press briefing, whatever you wanna call it, um, I think her name is Dr. Jenny Harries, um, who's uh, a government official in one respect or another. She certainly advises the government to a, to a great extent. She read out the hospital figures, but the incorrect version, the version that even Public Health England has said, no, we've got to correct this. She read the figure which included both um, people in hospital primarily because of COVID and people in hospital with something else but happened to have COVID. So, you know, the, the higher figures are being read out. We also saw the other day the highest death figure in seven months, um, which conveniently was on a Tuesday. And this has been long known throughout the pandemic that for whatever reasons, just for the way they they count the statistics, Tuesday is always the highest number in the same way that I, I think Sunday is always the lowest number. It's just the way it happens in terms of the collection of data. And that the, the proper way to look at this isn't um, the, I forget, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not the registering of, you know, deaths per day, but sort of the day that the death certificate is signed, something like that, mm. the actual day they die. And you find at that point a much evenly spread, a much more evenly spread set of statistics. And that, you know, the, 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 the line isn't quite the horror story that we're being made out to believe. So all of these things are, are manipulated. Um, whether purposefully or not, who knows, but what is noticeable, the UK statistics agency said that we've had to, you know, correct the government more times than we ever have over many years during the pandemic. And you, you've got to say, right, we understand mistakes are going to be made. It's a very serious situation. There's a lot of pressure on the government to get a lot of things right. That has to be acknowledged. It's, it's acceptable that some mistakes might be made. What's unacceptable is that the same mistakes are being made over and over and over again. We know now um, about hospital figures being measured incorrectly. We know that uh, COVID deaths for a long time, and even now, are being measured 28 days after a case, which might have been someone dying from COVID or might have been someone dying from someone else, yet they keep on making the mistakes, and that's just not acceptable. It scares people. <clears throat> One thing, um, and... Uh... It was tweeted earlier by Peter Hitchens, a, a quote from uh, John Pollard, um, who uh, basically made a point, again, as said from the start, which is, you know, the, the way it's measured is dying within 28 days of a positive test. Well, yeah. I mean, every day, thousands of the elderly and vulnerable go into hospital with a myriad of complaints, not not all of them COVID. They'll, yeah. be, they'll be tested either before or upon entry. Some of them will have COVID yeah. and they, they will die with COVID, not necessarily of COVID, but with COVID, you know, so, someone may go in there, test positive, and then have, you know, a, a, an aneurysm, yeah. you know, or like, or die, you know, pulmonary fibrosis, mm -hmm. um, and then, that, but then that will go down. I mean, um, I mean, there's even some anecdotes of people dying in car crashes being put down as COVID deaths, or people yeah. dying of, you know, cancer being put down as COVID deaths, because they tested positive in the last four weeks of their life. Um, yeah. So we know the numbers are manipulated. We know the, the case figures are manipulated because there's a very high, um, false positive rates of PCR testing. I mean, we saw seen stories in the last couple of, couple of months of um, 
school kids using you know uh, orange orange juice and coke to uh, fake a positive state so they can get a nice week off school. Yeah. Um, even yeah, you know, I've even heard people in my in my own life say you know when you when you register a test, you you literally you just tell them it's positive or negative. You, mm. There's no um, uh, onus on you to uh, prove the validity of a test. So if you want a week off, you can just tap in negative pop uh, positive. And you get a text saying positive, and you and you get to into dark, dark, dark works. I mean, the the figures are so easily manipulated by either by design from authorities or by um, sort of craftiness from the public that we we don't have pictures to the point where the figures that we that we have just ha they they have to be inflated. Yeah, there's no way that, there's no way they're not inflated. But this is never put across, say by the BBC, when you when you watch the. The dishing out of figures um it's the 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 very small print at the bottom is within 28 yeah. days small it is print, mentioned right? but it's very small um always read the small print yes i, I mean there's also the uh, sort of the, the three lines which they, they use the first is total numbers so in in the winter of course more people would be dying from or, or with covid the deaths are higher in winter anyway so easy to manipulate so the higher numbers scare people or if covid is you know taking a break you know maybe blm have showed up in london or something the uh it's it goes for the percentages and yeah. now i saw in the bbc news at one cases and deaths are up 15 20 percent now but 20 percent of um 200 is <laughs> only an extra 40 deaths so um or they go for the, the real heartbreaking personal anecdotes. You know, this yeah, yeah. poor 45-year-old man, perfectly healthy, although some photos say otherwise. <laughs> and uh, they, um, it's, it's, it's true that the, the, the male had a, had a similar anecdote and the guy was eating a burger the size of his head in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. We're getting to Yeah. yeah. So, um, but sort of, sort of like, like, one thing, too, is that, we, like, pre-COVID, it wasn't normal to look on like through a microscope at death figures. Mm. You know, if you looked at the the death figures for any cause of death, yeah. you'd probably be stunned by it, right? Mm. It's like um, they do a lot also with with gun deaths in the US, where they focus on gun deaths, and it it, it looks terrifying because you don't normally look at um, gun death figures when you realize that every day, <clears throat> every day, every week, every every month, every year. There is a massive turnover of deaths and births. Yeah, that's true. That's just you know, it, it, you know, in in societies of you know, tens and hundreds of millions of people and a planet of nine billion people, every day a lot of people are going to die. Going to be be born, you know, um, and like the, the the sort of the the laziest attack on anyone who who expresses any sort of um, skepticism of COVID mandates. Well, people are dying. Well, people die. That's just that, that's just the brutal fact of life. People die. The biggest cause of, of dying is being born. Well, this this is a, you know, a massive cultural shift that's really only taken place in the in the last generation. It's that death is something to be unavoided at all costs. Yeah. It, mm. e e even though uh, I mean, you, you get all these fancy quotes saying, "Well, if if we outlaw death, there's no point in living" or something like that. But they, they, they've got a point. If you just reduce to um spinning around in your bedroom. Where your work, eat, and play is—it's <laughs> basically solitary confinement, isn't it? And the you're course, climbing, human rights you're group. Dartboard behind you. Oh, you, you can only put you know so many portraits of people you hate on the on the board, and it gets boring <laughs> after a while. That's true. That's true. There's a very good tweet by uh, by by Ben Cobley, 
um, who makes the point that people who who uh, who use you know people are dying as justification for lockdowns. Again, it says they they value life in the in the narrow physical sense of literally you know your heart is beating and your brain is thinking, but um, it doesn't factor in the you know actually you know living actually having a life worth living. So I don't know about you guys, but during the lockdowns or the first one, the only one that I actually went along with um it had it was catastrophic my my mental state um because I, I wasn't living i was just waiting for it to be over mm. you know for months and then i was just, i was just waiting <clears throat> yeah yeah and um, that's the case for millions of people and of course for other people you know we we have to admit we're in a in a, a comfortable position in that um well i don't know i'm presuming here but i don't presume that you were feeling at risk of losing where you lived or no, anything like that no, but no. for a lot of people who were losing their jobs you know, say if two partners both needed a job to support their family and lost their job in the first lockdown, and um, then you're waiting not just to return to life, but I don't know, just for for everything to feel like it's crumbling. It's, it must have been a terrible state. Luke, there's a story I saw that I think you'll like, or at least will set your alarm bells ringing. The uh, in the budget speech next week, Rishi Sunak is expected to extend the COVID recovery loan scheme. Now you know what that means because you've you've said this every time. Every time a, a COVID uh, economic support scheme is extended, that's sort of the first warning that lockdown is around the corner. Oh yes, I have. I know I have yet to be proved wrong on that point. Which yes, <laughs> alarm bells are firing across my cranium. And then add to that in the last week or so, the conversation uh, around lockdown has re-entered the press cycle. Um, now, I mean. For me, that tell, that tells me that we are absolutely going into lockdown at some point in the winter. Um, yeah, so the idea has been flowed. Well, yeah, exactly. So that that's that's what happens. That, that's that's the role of mass media in, in the mass state, in that it it, it prepares the obedient cohort of society for what's going to happen. It you know it 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 allows the idea to incubate and it you know preemptively uh, decimates um vast ways of public disobedience before it's allowed before it's allowed to happen i mean for me for me the fact that it's it's being talked about in the press I means it's, it's happening and this is going to be a real test for the public because um i, I think i was telling you a, a story um when i was you know i was driving through uh the seafront of my town and it, everyone was out it was just just after the end of the first lo- of the last lockdown and people were out in the arcades and the pubs and that, that kind of thing and um the person I was with remarked how, how nice it was to see that everyone was, you know, enjoying their freedom again. And I said, they're not enjoying their freedom. They're doing what they're told to do or what they're allowed to do. Yeah. If, if there was a lockdown, the, the same strip would be a ghost town. Now, this is going to be a real test, test for the public because are they going to obey or are they going to rebel? Because if they obey, they're going to learn pretty quickly that you can't comply your way out of tyranny. Yeah, it is. It has been sort of sobering in that sense of of the way we view Britain as a country and its sort of sturdiness. The whole stiff of uh, stiff upper lip rhetoric. Um, but how many how many times do you hear people say now, "Oh, just follow the rules, will you?" It's so simple. Just follow the rules. Well, I mean, the annoying thing is, is that possibly as conservatives, we would normally agree and take that angle. I mean, there's so many so many situations in which I would think that. I think, oh, just will you just please just go along with this uh this way of living or just do this or that whatever um but um i don't know when it 
when it comes to our the very basis of our liberty just crumbling beneath us, I think you you have to take a stand. You sort of got to. There are. Um, it's it's further proof that there are compromises you have to make, and I think this is mm. uh, a compromise that we as conservatives have to make. That we have to put our feet down and say, no, I'm not. Um, mm. Not going along with this. Well, I suppose conservatives aren't normally very conformist, so maybe. Maybe that was wrong, what I just said, but I don't know. It's, it does seem like a testing time for our beliefs, I think. Mm. I suppose the, 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 the mechanism with the state and advanced power is probably not too dissimilar from an addict and drugs, right? The, um, what you always hear about people who get hooked on heroin is they take it for the first time. It's the most you know, wonderful experience of their life. And then they spend the rest of their, their life chasing the dragon, so to speak, <clears throat> chasing that first high. Yeah. I mean... I, you know, um, I think we were saying, or me, and you, me, Luke, me, and you were saying that um, there were there were comments in the in the bureaucracy that they were absolutely stunned at the level of obedience yeah. with the first lockdown. So I think that mixed with the unprecedented post-war power given to the states with the COVID Act, it was probably like the first hit of heroin. You yeah. know, and and uh, and you know, now 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 we have a government that is an absolute power junkie and. They aren't going to give it up, you know. Junkies have no loyalty. They have no sense of decency. They they do whatever they can to get their fix. Mm. Well, on the on the flip side as well, you have people who are desperate to conform. Now, this pandemic has been, I've said this before, fantastic for people who just live life without a cause, and then suddenly, the the biggest exercise in slacktivism drops into their lap, and they you know take vaccine selfies post on facebook and you know, think they're saving the world they shame people for not wearing masks and you know the same people who try and hound you out of a job for having the wrong political opinion so it's it's been uh they've been tricked they've been there they can be described as addicts surely i uh and sorry go on and uh, this power just lack of a a backbone or a stiff upper lip as it's called in this nation is that um i think part of the reason why vaccine uptake was so successful is because people weren't you know offered liberty they were offered bread and circuses mm. they were saying if you don't get vaccinated you won't be allowed into this nightclub into this restaurant into this football stadium but also um the the, the vaccination is sort of like baptism into the new church yeah you know it's your it's your point of entry mm. I was saying to Sam before, I've, I've been watching the, the latest series of You for My Sins. Um, and there's a there's a good episode on there, which is uh, based around this idea of someone being shamed for not getting vaccinated. Um, it's against a diff- it's against measles, I think they weren't vaccinated, but they, they talk about COVID a lot in it as well. And in the end, the person who uh, who who is the anti-vaxxer, as they're called, gets whacked on the head and later gets killed. So it's sort of it's portrayed through media as well, I think, um, for all age groups, of course. Um, well, it's um, I was saying to you, it's basically like uh, it, remind, it reminded me of um, The Republic, where Plato writes all his uh, exchanges that he wins. You know, yeah, <laughs> I think I think one of the difficult things with this is that it's it's got to the point where because you know the way we were talking just is is suggesting that people shouldn't get vaccinated of, of any age group which 
which isn't necessarily true. People can, our argument is that people can make up their own choice and let that be that, and that certain medical ideas aren't necessarily things you discuss and, and share around because, you know, we, we leave it to our own judgment, um, which we guide off, off expertise and those who we, we trust and listen to and, and such things. But it's, it's become where obviously those who don't get vaccinated are shamed, but similarly, those who do get vaccinated are made to feel as though they must be part of a club. Um, you know, you've, you've got to share your picture of your vaccination card and, um, and, and join them with the mocking of everybody else. I mean, it's, it's almost like uh, the whole uh, gay slash LGBT split where someone is, you know, um, someone who, who is gay is considered by sort of the, 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 the cultural elements of the LGBT um, campaign group uh, to, to have to be a member of that, otherwise they're not truly gay. Uh, and in the same sense, you might say of a vaccinated person, that if they, if they don't join in with the condemnation of those who uh, refuse the vaccine by you know, joining uh, anti-vaccine passport protests and things like that, then they too must be a refusenik. Um, as I'm sure, Luke, people would say of you, for example. Um, I mean, you've said on the episodes before that you've been vaccinated for personal reasons, which sure. Well, I think I could bring it up, you know, you've done that, but people would still, upon listening to our conversation and hearing what you say, would probably call you a, a vaccine refuser uh, because of because of your stance on a, in a wider political sense that people should make up their own mind, which is astonishing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that, that the word refuse- words mean nothing anymore. I could go and work it up. That the word refusenik is, is used because it's um it's a it's an insult in in israel people who refuse to uh do their national service yeah and in the the social status in israel is is not entirely but largely um assigned to you by what you did in the army you know because for every paratrooper and you know special ops soldier there's someone who you know cleaned the barracks toilets mm. uh the refusing is is you know it's um Outside of you know progressive pacifist circles, it's 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 extremely looked down upon. Mm. Um, it's seen as being you know a mark of cowardice not to not to do it, and it's it's interesting because it you know someone being branded a refusenik is um is almost you, you you sort of you're given a nod by authority to harass, bully, shame, intimidate, uh, and you know eventually openly discriminate against. Mm. I was going to say that just all, all the. All these words that have been received uh, a severe dose of marks of style hyperinflation they just they just don't mean anything anymore apart from to the core fanatical elements mm-hmm. i mean a refusal is is great for um, those people who wield it as an insult but you know, directly it just bounces off it's, it's like every other sort of political insult mm-hmm. Well, on that bombshell, I think we'll uh, we'll call it a week. Um, thanks everybody for listening, and hope that you'll join us again next week. Cheers. <laughs>